Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Oh, I'm sorry. I want to introduce David. <laughs> David Gerber from St. Christopher's Inn. We've done a lot of uh, events together, and uh, we're happy to have him. He's very knowledgeable. He's a professional, and he will give you some great information. Uh, thank you for having me, and uh, welcome. And it is good to see such a full room tonight. I know this community has dealt with this own tragedy just uh, in the last 24 hours. And uh, I'm going to try to move through this quickly and give you an awful lot of information, some of which is going to be controversial, and some of what I have to share with you tonight, some of you may not agree with. Um, as I say, whenever I do any kind of workshop or presentation, um, my goal is not to necessarily have you agree with what I say, but it is to make you think. I am going to try to move through this quickly so that there are time for questions. You know, I've been asking this question of my clients, of students, of communities uh, for 20 years. Why do we do things? Why do we do anything? Why did you wake up this morning when you did? Why did you hit the old snooze bar three times? Why did you come out tonight? Why do people use drugs? Why do people play sports? Why do we do anything? And there really is only one answer to this question. We do things because it works. All behavior is purposeful. So my guys will be the first ones to tell me, if St. Christopher's in, I deal with 183 people every day. And they'll say, I've been using heroin for 10 years, Dave. Heroin doesn't work for me. It stopped working for me a long time ago. And I say, well, why'd you keep doing it then? And those of you who struggle with you know, families of addiction know the answer to that question is, well, if I stopped using, I'd get sick. Well, did heroin work? Yes, it did. So. All behavior is purposeful. We don't do things for no reason at all. I'm talking to you tonight from a cognitive behavioral therapy perspective because uh, how many of you have been to drug crisis events in the past? Yeah, a number of you. So I wanted to be able to give you something that maybe we haven't talked about before. Why, you know, we talk about these pills and, um, you know, the previous speaker talked about, you know, where did this start? And, and uh, you know, it started in the 1990s when... Uh, the pharmaceutical companies went to the uh, uh, doctors and hospitals and the Joint Commission and they said only 2% of people taking prescription pills will become addicted. So what was the response? We are hurting people by not medicating their pain. And so, you know, in teens, what do these pills do? Do you know that about three years ago, prescription medications overtook marijuana as the drug of choice and high schoolers, okay, they, why? Because they're in the parents' medicine cabinets. Why? Because they're readily accessible. Why? Because we had doctors that were prescribing pills, as, uh, as we talked about a little bit earlier, by the hundreds. So why do teens use pills? Because it works. It dulls pain. What kind of pain? It dulls the physical pain. And we'll talk about athletes a little bit more shortly. It, deals, it, it dulls emotional pain. It provides a sense of euphoria. And if I do feel socially awkward, like Susan talked about Justin, if I feel a little bit awkward being under the influence of a medication, 
helps me to feel more comfortable, more confident, and uh, more socially acceptable. And let's face it, as Susan said when she introduced the program, when we first start using drugs, we don't say, hey, I want to be an addict. You know, one day I hope to OD on this stuff. No. When we first start, there are few, if any, consequences. So if you feel good, you get this euphoric feeling. It allows you to feel comfortable in your own skin. Why wouldn't you keep doing it? You know, my clients, they like to think that they're savvy, they're street smart, and that nobody can get over on them. They're the hustlers. And then we get them into a group and we say, hey, uh, guys, have you thought about the fact that you're the ones who've been conned? Because the drugs that you took gave you a promise. They promised you that you'd feel good. They promised you, and it delivered. But you didn't stop because you didn't experience any consequences. And by the time you realized that there were problems, it was too late. Why does it work for athletes? You know, there is, as, as we discussed earlier, there is pressure to stay on the field. I, I was a, a college football player. I coached baseball and football. I coached a 9-, 10-year-old baseball championship game. I, the, I saw the kid walk off the mound, the pitcher for the other team. He said, Coach, my arm hurts. And the coach said, yeah, go back out there next inning. Okay? The pressure to win. This win-at-all-cost mentality. They've done studies with Olympic athletes where um, uh, upwards of 75% of Olympic athletes who have been offered the opportunity, they said, if you had the opportunity to win a gold medal and die tomorrow, how many of you would choose a gold medal? And the vast majority of them did. And then, you know, the cost of college. We have parents that are driving our kids towards scholarships. So we, there is this pressure to get on the field, to stay on the field, to perform at high levels. And then, what happens next? The season ends. You get an injury, you prescribe these medications, and you feel good. You have this euphoria, you're feeling good, you're getting high, you're not experiencing any consequences. So as a kid, what do you do? You tell a friend. And then they tell a friend. And like the old commercial says, and so on, and so on, and so on. The, then what we see is they get so uh, enthusiastic about their drug use, which started to allow them to stay on the field. Now they go, you know what? I don't like baseball that much anymore. I don't like basketball that much anymore. And we see a lot of the kids that end up coming into my program were star athletes that gave up on the sports because they became addicted to the drugs. They didn't know they were addicted by the time they were addicted. They just knew they loved it more than anything else. And by the time it stops working, by the time we start experiencing consequences, it's too late. We're addicted. Uh, according to the New York Times, 75% of heroin users start out with opiate-based prescription medications. This is where heroin addiction starts. How did we get here? Uh, we talked about this earlier, um, the increased amount of prescriptions being available. Not 10 days. You will go to a dentist. Not 10 days of a prescription medication, but prescriptions by the 100. I teach graduate psychology at Pace University. I had a student come to me to tell me her boyfriend committed suicide. He jumped off the bridge. How did he die? He went into the hospital with a leg injury in a car accident 
He wasn't an addict. He didn't drink at all. But by the time he walked out of that hospital, he became addicted to medications to the point where he couldn't cope with life on life's terms anymore. So we have doctors who are, are prescribing large quantities of pills, dentists doing the same, psychiatrists who are giving uh, Xanax. Xanax is the number one prescribed benzodiazepine in the country and in and, and large quantities. There's no, it's no accident that we got to this epidemic. It started with the proliferation of these prescription medications. So what do we try to do to stop it? We talked a little bit about iStop, and I just want to take that a step further, okay? Because iStop gave us better control and monitoring of these prescriptions. And did it work? Yes. Yes, it did. It worked very well. It worked better than we could have ever hoped. So doctors now were not able to prescribe. Pharmacists weren't able to dispense these large quantities of, of prescription opiates. But no, it didn't. Because there were unintended consequences. And what, what happened as a result was uh, with fewer of these pills, people still using it, still feeling that euphoria, maybe getting addicted, maybe not just liking the feeling they wanted more of it. So they turned to the streets where these pills can cost fifty to seventy five dollars a pill so now I'm hooked on these pills I want this feeling I don't want to live without this feeling anymore and we have countries like Mexico and Afghanistan that have increased uh, I think uh, four times uh, huge increases in the amount of production of heroin which made heroin all over our streets more accessible in many cases than marijuana and certainly easier to obtain than alcohol for kids and so what we have is a cheaper, more potent high than the pills themselves, more addictive. So when they start out using the pills, 9 out of 10 will tell you, I'm not going to use heroin, I'm just going to stick to these pills. And they believe it when they say it. But the reality is they need stronger doses, they need more of it, and it's becoming more expensive. So heroin becomes the next logical choice. Opiate-related deaths have quadrupled since 2002. Um, and, and then the heroin doesn't become enough. You know, uh, they start out sniffing heroin and they say, I'm never going to shoot dope. I, that's junkies do that. Not me. Okay? And then that's not enough. So they resort to shooting uh, intravenously heroin. And then that's not enough. And we touched on fentanyl a little bit. Uh, earlier, which is up to a hundred times more powerful than heroin. Some of you were on the internet this morning and saw the story. Six overdose deaths in California just yesterday. People who used heroin and wound up founding that they were uh, mixed with fentanyl. And when you get hooked on heroin, you're always looking for something a little stronger. They're always chasing that first heroin high. So when someone says, this is a hundred times more powerful than heroin, most addicts don't say, Oh, that might kill me. They say, show me where. Now, how do we get out of this problem? And notice the question mark. What is the way, and this is the kind of controversial part that some of you are not going to like, but you know, hopefully I make you think. Our way out of this problem is with more opiates. We, at the county, state, and federal level, are now telling people that the way out of this problem is by the use of uh, other opiates like methadone and suboxone. Okay, and 
you know, I know that there are individuals here who may have family members that may have benefited from the use of these drugs. I deal with 183 people a day, and I hear the horror stories. When, when the makers of Suboxone came to St. Christopher's Inn and they said, just the same way I'm telling you the story, only 2% of people get addicted to prescription opiates. The same representatives come in and they say, there is no risk with Suboxone. People can't get high from Suboxone. So what do we do? We say, let's get Suboxone going here. And at St. Christopher's Inn, we use Suboxone, not in a traditional way, but in a way that we're comfortable with. I don't have time to get into that. But what we noticed was um, we did a study and we found that 30% of our opiate addicted clients, prior to, prior to us using Suboxone, 30% of our opiate addicted clients walked out of our program before ever even entering treatment. When we started introducing Suboxone, guess what happened? 30% increase in the number of people that entered our shelter that were willing to go into treatment. So hey, this is great, except <laughs> something that we didn't, they didn't tell us. They were starting to sell it and they were starting to trade it. Why? If you can't get high from it, why would you sell it? Why would you trade it? We found out people are getting high from that. And this is a substitute. And, and I know this sounds really controversial, but you know, asking the drug companies to offer the solution to our drug problem is like a akin to asking the tobacco companies to oversee the redu reduction of nicotine use. We talk a little bit about Narcan. Narcan is great. Many of you have loved ones that have been saved by Narcan. And that's terrific, except there's a flip side to that coin as well. Okay? What, we're, what we're doing is we're flooding the, uh, the streets, we're flooding people, family members, organizations, first responders with the ability to save lives, and that's a good thing. What we're not seeing is where's the treatment that's following. And so, so many people that are at St. Christopher's Inn right now have been revived by Narcan more than once. We've had people, numerous people who have been revived by Narcan more than once in the same day. We now hear of people going to Narcan parties where they shoot each other up and they overdose, but it's okay because we have the Narcan there. You know, we are create, we're not necessarily saving lives so much as we're delaying the inevitable. And, 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 and I'm not saying that Narcan is a bad thing in, uh, per se, but there's got to be more. And of course, what other, you know, anytime we got a problem, we got to put more cops on the streets. And we've seen very little in the way of increase in access to treatment, but we have seen increased police uh, enforcement. Um, yeah, that. Okay, there are solutions, there is hope, <laughs> there is. Uh, there, is, there are rays of hope. Um, I was talking with a woman uh, this evening before we started, you know, um, interventions. You know, we get so entrenched in the addiction that um, it becomes more important to us than anything else. And when we try as family members to help, you know, we, you've heard the story. I got it under control. It's not me, it's him. You know, um, interventions are a way to uh, help lead someone to treatment, to recovery, when they're not willing to go. And I just I bring this up because it's important that you know that there are options and solutions that are out there. There are resources for family members, you know, when you don't know what else to do because the problem is obvious for you, but not necessarily obvious to the user. We have great treatment in the area. Um, you know, and St. Christopher's Inn is just one, and I didn't list all of them. But, you know, ultimately, if you're looking for help, 
the National Council on Alcoholism and Drug Addiction, um, they are an unbiased resource that can help connect you with you know, treatment options. Um, new, uh, another positive, New York State Oasis, and Susan and I were part of the uh, statewide group that helped put this program together, right? Um, they now have a bed availability system. So you can go on the New York State Office of Alcoholism and Substance Abuse Services website, and if you want to get someone into treatment, this site will tell you where there are beds available. I also want to mention that Vivitrol is a medication that is a non-narcotic that does, uh, it's not in totally without its risk. However, uh, the combination of, of Vivitrol and treatment, if you're not familiar with Vivitrol, Vivitrol is a shot that you get once a month and you cannot use heroin and get high when taking Vivitrol. It is not tradable, it is not abusable, you're not selling it, and you can't get high for a month on heroin. So, you know, what does that mean? If somebody comes into St. Christopher's Inn, we give them a shot, this doesn't happen in every case, but best case scenario, you mean the move? Um, uh, best case scenario, we give them a shot when they come in. What does that mean? I'm not going to sign out of treatment because what's the point? I can't get high. Okay? We give them a shot in the middle of treatment. Why? Because that shot runs off, maybe they think they're going to go get high. So month two, we give them another shot. Month three, now they're ready to leave St. Christopher's Inn. What do we do? Give them a shot. We send them out with a one-month head start so that they can't get high from heroin. And recently, if you haven't seen this, thank God, hallelujah, the CDC came out last week and issued new guidelines for doctors and prescribers that says we need to curb the proliferation. We need to curb these big prescriptions. We need to be careful and seek alternatives to these highly addictive medications. <laughs> we, and this is really important because guess what? The makers of OxyContin have now gotten it past the government to say it is now safe to give OxyContin to 11-year-olds. Okay, so these guidelines are really important. Uh, I just want to, you know, treatment oftentimes gets a bad rap, and I just want to give you a quick overview of why. Okay. Um, for example, St. Christopher's Inn has had a 13% reduction in our, in our reimbursement rates in the last six years. Okay. It's increasingly difficult to get someone in. You all are experiencing this. We have, um, and, and as hard as it is to get in, it's even harder to get them to stay. I talked with a colleague who runs an inpatient program who gets five days of, of care for opiate addicts, heroin addicts, young kids, athletes, Five days. And I say, what could you do with someone in five days? And their response is, it's better than nothing. See, we've got to be able to do something that's better than nothing. And, you know, right now, um, uh, you know, the regulations that we're dealing with, uh, you don't care about this, but it, it's requiring us to do far more administrative work than working with your kids. Right, Jane? Mm -hmm. And... And right now, there's over a $7 billion initiative that the federal government is giving New York State to keep people, to reduce hospital and emergency room admissions by 25%. So if you think it's hard getting into treatment now, inpatient treatment, $7 billion to reduce these inpatient visits by 25%. So on one hand, we have a governor saying and the president saying we need to increase access for treatment. And on the other hand, we have people telling us, we'll give you $7 billion if you don't put them in. Okay, who do you think is going to win? 
we do need last slide. Um, you know, we we need this. You know, we need community farms. We need the work of parents, families, organizations like Drug Crisis in our backyard. Um, you know, to fight with legislators around treatment access, length of stay, and treatment parity, which basically means that you know we start treating chemical dependency treatment like it's a medical illness, like it's a chronic illness, so that people can get the treatment they need and maintain it. Um, if you're interested in learning more about uh, St. Christopher's Inn or uh, Hudson Valley Interventions, I'll be at the back table. Thank you very much. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.